Good morning, everybody. And uh, if you weren't here at the beginning of the service, let us just repeat and uh, extend a warm welcome to you, especially if you're here for the first time. And we're delighted that you are. Um, my name is Joel, and I have the privilege of pastoring the church here. Um, and uh, I'm excited this morning. Woo! Just me? Good. I'm excited this morning. We are uh, launching uh, into a new uh, little sermon series. Um, and it's one that's been brewing and we've been thinking about and, and considering doing for quite a long time. Um, and when I, w- when I became a Christian back in the 90s, some of you don't remember the 90s. <laughs> some, some of you do, some of you don't. When I became a Christian, churches were really big on vision statements. Um, and I think it was a bit of a product of the 80s and 90s, the business boom, the, 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 the business um, sort of models. Everything was based around what your vision and your mission statement is. And, um, and, I, and I think vision and mission statements are great, although I do think God has given us our vision and our mission statement uh, quite clearly. Um, go and make disciples of all nations. Amen. That's our mission statement. However, what I think um, people are... Uh, are eager to know about today uh, in this the era, the generation we're living in, are values. Um, they're, they're less concerned about you telling them what you're going to do and more interested in telling them who you are or showing them or living out who you are. Does that make sense to you? And you may or may not be aware that um, we have some value uh, statements. Uh, we have uh, some sort of defined values as a church. And we became aware last year we were talking about it, leadership team, and, and just with a few people. And we were kind of with it, really, we, our awareness of these values has not filtered through, um, although we may be living out some of these values, we, we may not have necessarily managed to communicate them as clearly as we might have done. So we thought, well, well, well let's do a, a teaching series on the values that we have as Elim Aberystwyth. Are you, are you up for hearing uh, about what those are? Um, we will get on to what they all are in a moment, but just so you know, the beginning of uh, this series is going to be this, a people who are Christ-centered. That is the first of our values. Uh, That is what we uh, kind of underpin everything with, and uh, hopefully that will be explained more as we go through. Um, I read a good article this week uh, from the Harvard Business Review, uh, which, and and, and within that, uh, and this is business speak, so I don't want to get too caught up in, in the business side of things, but this is, I just was, was helpful, uh, some helpful thoughts. Core values are the deeply ingrained principles that guide all of a company's actions. And we're not a company, we're not a business, we are a church, we're a body of believers in Jesus Christ, but we still have core values. Uh, they're deeply ingrained principles that guide a company's actions. But also later, because he was trying to draw some distinctions between different types of values and perhaps how businesses sometimes misunderstand where they are at in their value journey. He, he said this, that there are such things as aspirational values. He said that these are uh, those that a company needs to succeed in the future but currently lacks. And I thought the reality is as a, as a body of believers, we probably would declare our values and they'd be somewhere between these two, all of them, because we want to grow in all of the things that we uh, explain our, our values. 
um, and although they may already have begun to be expressed and embodied in our in our lives individually and in the things that we do as a church, we're actually also going to be needing to aspire to a greater level of these values. Um, and uh, just whilst I was looking up values in general, up on my Google, um, probably because of an algorithm, one of the things which popped up was um, uh, Christian values. So I, so I, well, I wonder what I wonder what Google tells me Christian values are. And uh, well, it took me to the Wikipedia description of Christian values: love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Anybody recognise those? The fruits of the spirit. How? Good it is to see that Wikipedia has recognized and understood those. Uh, And of course, every believer, every church, all of us as a body would want to uh, embody and aspire to growing in these values, what's often called the fruits of the Holy Spirit. Uh, And the the difference between a gift and a fruit uh, is a gift is something that is given that you receive and that you open. A fruit is something that grows. It happens naturally as you cultivate the ground for it. And so we want to cultivate the kind of ground as a church and cultivate the kind of ground in our lives that is fruitful for the people around us and for ourselves as a community and for the community beyond uh, the walls and the doors of our churches and our homes. Amen? So let me tell you uh, that we went through a process a number of years ago as a leadership team. We went away, we prayed, we talked, we discussed, we came backwards and forwards, we disagreed, we uh, came to some consensus. And the values that we um, landed on, this is our current, everything that we ever do is always under review. Um, But this is our current description of the values that we believe Elim Aberyst withholds and should aspire to. A people who are Christ-centered, Bible-shaped, are family, are vibrant, demonstrate integrity, extend grace, and a people who connect. And so over the weeks that, that come, when I'll be speaking, over the next, uh, next couple of months, we'll be uh, journeying through and looking at some of these values. And this is where we start, a people who are Christ-centered. When I... Uh, arrived in Aberystwyth, which is now 12 years ago. Whew, would you believe? Um, well, it will be 12 years um, in, in the summer. It will be 12 years. So 11 and a half years ago, um, we sang a song on our first Sunday. We sang it in my induction meeting, and we sang it on our first Sunday. And we've referred to it, and some of you will be familiar with this, but if you're new to the church, you may not know this song. But it's a song that says, Jesus be, the, be, be Jesus at the center of it all. But in the last verse of that song, it says this, Jesus, be the center of your church. And we've been quoting that and singing that and believing that and wanting to get back to that. And the reality is that many times over those 11 and a half years, we will have um, fallen short of, of, of being able to do this. But it's an aspiration. It's something that we want uh, to continue to be a prayer. Jesus, be the center of your church. In Matthew 16, um, Jesus asks his disciples, specifically one disciple, what I think is the the most important and key question that anybody can ever be asked in their life. And if you want that one, if you had, if you had 
one moment with somebody, this is the question I would encourage you to ask. And what's happened is they've been talking about who people are saying that Jesus is. Some are saying that he's a prophet. Some are saying different things about him. But he looks at one of his disciples and he says, but what about you? Who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Who do you say I am? Who do you say? That Jesus, Yeshua, Yesi, who do you say he is? And that's the most important question for you. And that's the most important question that you could present and lay before anybody else. Before you ask them what they think about church. Before you ask them what they think about the Bible. Before you ask them what they think about anything else in, or anyone else in this life. Who do you say Jesus is? And everything pivots on that question. Everything for all of creation and in our individual lives pivots on that question. This passage has been subject to much debate and speculation and um, uh, differences of opinion and understanding on on what Jesus means when he says, um, on this rock. Um, And I don't have a definitive answer. I'm sorry. I know you would like me to be able to definitively answer all your questions. I can't give you a definitive answer. There is some that would suggest that when Jesus said this rock, he's talking about himself. And he's saying that um, the fact that Simon Peter says you're the Messiah and Jesus says, yes, that's the rock on which I'll build my church. The fact that I'm the Messiah. Some have said that um, Peter himself is who Jesus is referring to, which is why his name is is changed to Peter, uh, which means the rock. And that it's actually Peter, and then Peter became the foundation stone. And some argue that Jesus, when he says, this was not revealed to you by human flesh, this was revealed to you by my Father in heaven, i.e. revelation, the realization that God can bring, the awakening that God can bring to our hearts and minds, that is the rock on which Jesus built his church. Now, we can debate the this rock part, and we can have differences of opinion, but there is no debating the bit that follows. Whose church is it? On this Rock, I will build my church, says Jesus. Jesus says on this rock, he will build his church. It is Christ's church. And the real, there should be no need to explain that a church has a value of being Christ-centered. It shouldn't be necessary. It should be his church. There shouldn't be any other purpose or any other reason. But sad to say. And of course, this is not me pointing the finger in a judgmental manner because there'll be times when in my own life and in the life of our church, the church that I'm privileged to lead, that we wouldn't have succeeded in making Christ the center of everything. However, there are many churches where Christ is not central or he's not truly Christ. It's not the Christ as we understand and believe him and as he revealed himself to be. 
So we need to be clear about who we mean when we say Christ, because it's been open to many different understandings. And uh, the um, thing that I would encourage you to do uh, is to look at the creed, the Nicene Creed, which was a uh, brought together hundreds of years ago, fourth century, over a couple of, really a couple of gatherings of, of church, uh, ecclesial church leaders um, and, and thinkers, and they boiled down, because there were becoming misunderstandings and different, in different um, what we can see right from Scripture itself in the New Testament, the New Testament letters, where Paul particularly and Peter sought to uh, correct misunderstandings that were beginning. It happened right from the beginning. And so a few hundred years later, it's not surprising that some church leaders um, felt the need to uh, call a council and uh, express what is it that we believe as the church of Jesus Christ. And so the Nicene Creed uh, came out of that, two gatherings, two, two sort of processes of agreement. And this is what it says about the person of Jesus Christ. Should we read this together um, if you're comfortable to and if you, if you want to? Um, I think it's a very helpful thing for us to read. If you're able to see it, um, please read along. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father, through him all things were made. For us men and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate of the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. Amen. What a great summary of what the scriptures teach us of who Jesus Christ was, is, and will be. Amen. And if somebody professes an understanding of Jesus that is outside of that creed, I want to suggest that we are going to find it unlikely to agree with that person on gospel truth. And of course, lots of different movements, lots of different um, understandings have been preached over the years. And even churches that um, might agree with that creed can have different worship styles, different emphasis, different cultures, different beliefs on secondary matters. But if they're not Christ-centered, if they're not Christ-centered as, that is, as, as Christ is described in that creed, then are they church with a capital C? We want to be a church that centers itself on the true Christ Jesus, Yeshua, the Messiah, born of Mary, who suffered and died in our place and then rose again defeating death and then ascended into heaven and he's going to come and return to the earth and he's going to reign and rule for eternity and we can be like him and with him and reign with him not because of who we are because of who he is because it's not just a church that 
revolves around Jesus Christ. Everything. Everything. He is the king of everything. He was in the beginning. He will be at the end. And the chorus of that song, which I quoted earlier, says this. Jesus, you're the center. Everything revolves around you. One of Jesus' closest disciples, there were, um, he obviously had his 12 disciples and there were three that were privileged to, to be able to spend a little bit more time with him, more closely talking about subjects and, 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 and uh, going into that context. One of them was called John, um, who interestingly describes himself as the, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Um, I want to be clear, I think Jesus loved all of the disciples. Um, but either it's because he just wanted to annoy Peter, which is possible, um, or, or he just had a true revelation of, of the knowledge of the love of Jesus. Anyway, John, when he was in his 90s, had been exiled to an island called Patmos. And um, he'd walked with Jesus. He had served Jesus then for all the years that followed. And whilst he was on that island, he had... Uh, a revelation, a realization, an, an eye-opening, life-shaping life encounter with Jesus that um, became the book of Revelation. At the beginning of that book, where John has this uh, wonderful revelation of Jesus, and he sees certain things about his character, and he sees certain things revealed to him in a visual way and, a, and a, an audible way, Jesus speaks to him. Uh, and his response when he sees this and realizes this about Jesus is the response that we would all make if we saw and understood the full and the true glory of who Jesus Christ is. He fell at his feet as though dead in worship. He fell down before him and responded in the way that is correct. And this is not because we're scared of him. It is because we have a reverent and holy fear and understanding of his glory. And that's how we should all live. That's how we should all uh, um, um, travel our, our life's journey. Understanding that he loves us, he's for us, he's gracious, he's compassionate. He is also just and holy and righteous and true. And so John has this revelation. It tells us in Revelation 1. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. And this is beautiful. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead. And now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. John knew Jesus. John had written his gospel already, which was largely aimed at revealing and explaining the divinity of Christ. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was made flesh. He made his dwelling among us. John had, had already written this about the divinity of Christ. But even in his 90s, hey, <laughs> there is never a point where we stop growing and learning in the knowledge of the goodness and the glory of Jesus Christ. Even in his 90s, he has this astounding revelation that causes him, who's walked closely with Jesus as an intimate friend, to fall down as though dead. 
this revelation of who he was. But Jesus, as he always does, said, don't be afraid. I'm with you. And he reveals himself as the Alpha and the Omega. And we could say he's the A to Z, but it would sound like an encyclopedia or something, wouldn't it? But when the, in the Greek language they talked about the Alpha and the Omega, it was so much more than when we say the A to Z. The beginning encompasses more the, before the foundation of the earth. The source, that's what the alpha that would be the source of everything. And the omega not, is more than just the Z. It's more than the end of an alphabet. It's, it's the one in whom all things are held together. The alpha and the omega. He was the alpha before the beginning of creation. And he will be the omega before the end of the world as we know it. And if we're in him, we are in the right place. And we are in safe hands because his hand holds the key to death and Hades. Now, he is the one who is building his church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against him. We're in, this, we're in the right hands. We're in the hands of Jesus. In John 8, has the microphone gone down or has it have got a dodgy connection? Okay, you're still hearing me as clearly as you were. Very, I tr very truly I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. There was only one person for the Jewish people who could be described in the, in the phrase and the terming, the terminology of I am. And that is the great I am. The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Heavenly Father, Yahweh. He is the only I am. So when Jesus described himself in that term, he was making it very clear. And to be quite frank, he knew he was going to agitate the people that he was talking to. Because these religious rulers and leaders, they had the Messiah. They had God with human flesh standing in front of them, but they didn't have the revelation, the realization of who he was. He was making it clear who he was. And because he did so, they picked up stones to stone him. <laughs> and this is one of my, this is, I, I, this is one of those verses I'm going to, when I get to heaven, I'm gonna like, Jesus, tell me more about this. Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. <laughs> I mean, what, is it? Lord, what does hid himself mean in that verse? I mean, I can only, it wouldn't have been easy. Like, listen, they were listening to him. He was the center of attention. They picked up stones. They were ready to throw them. And then he hid himself. <laughs> While all eyes were on him. I think there's something quite m mysterious and wonderful going on here. But 
they, pe- they picked up those stones because what they believed he was saying, they believed it to be blasphemy, which makes it even clearer that he was obviously revealing himself as the I am. And so church or, or, or um, pseudo-church organizations that, that describe themselves as a Christian church but don't have an understanding of Jesus being the I am and being God in human flesh have missed something. And it's not just something, it's the thing. They've missed the thing. This is who Jesus is. He's the I am. And that was the truth. That was the thing that he was, was, was preaching or proclaiming or allowing people to believe about him that got him crucified. They tried to kill him there, but he hid himself. <laughs> How I'd love to hide myself sometimes. <laughs> Maybe that's an anointing I can have <coughs> in, in some scenarios. Um, but he hid himself and he, and he walked, up, walked out. And it was blasphemy, unless it was true. <laughs> this is why C.S. Lewis says, Jesus can't, you, you can't say he's a good teacher. It's not possible. Jesus taught, he, 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 was, he revealed himself to be God. I mean, if he was a good teacher and he wasn't God, he was a liar. Or, or had some missing link of, of understanding in terms of how he was describing himself. Either he is Lord or he's not Lord. And we, Elam Aberystwyth, believe that Jesus is Lord. And that everything revolves around him, the beginning and the end, the Alpha, the Omega. And if it is true that Jesus is the Lord, then it changes everything. It changes everything, which is why we talk about repentance, because it's a realization and an awakening and a realization of who Jesus is which leads us to a response. And what is our response today? And if I could ask you a difficult question, whether you are a Christian or not a Christian, what or who does your life revolve around? Really think about it. Is it yourself? Is it your family? Is it your bank account? Is it your workplace? I'm not saying that those things, any of them, are wrong or bad in themselves. But if our lives revolve around something other than Jesus, then that thing is an idol in our lives. And all of us struggle to make Jesus central and ensure that our lives revolve around him. All of us find that challenging. But everyone's life revolves around someone or something. I really believe that. Everybody worships something or someone. And their life revolves around something. Our thoughts and our actions are always driven by a desire to a simple psychology. We're always trying to attain something or to avoid something in all of our actions. We're always motivated to gain pleasure, would be one simplistic way, or avoid pain. That's, that's a, a, a psycho, psychologist's simplistic way. Forgive me if you're actually an actual 
psychology student and, and I'm not describing this very well. We're all motivated in all of our actions by something. And to place the pursuit of Christ and his kingship and his kingdom at the center of your life is not an optional extra. It's what we're made for. It's what you're created for. To know and to love and to follow Jesus Christ. Earlier in John 8, before that uh, encounter had taken place and he revealed himself as the I am, Jesus is talking, and, and so he's, he, he's talking to the Jewish followers. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We talked about this last time I spoke when we, we, we talked about discipleship. And the freedom that, that, that God is inviting us into. It's not about rules. That, 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 that God wants us to follow. It's a person that God wants us to follow. Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And as we follow him, we will know the truth. Not just because we understand it cognitively, because, because we've, we've, we've grown in our knowledge of theology or of the Bible. We will know the person who is the truth, Jesus Christ. And the truth will set you free. What do you need set, to be set free from? From the idols of self or money or the things that we're striving for in this life. Uh, the fear of the wars that could be starting at any time. The fear of uh, being rejected by our loved ones or by our, our friends in school or our colleagues. The fear of not having enough um, material ability to, 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 to live in comfort and, and, and joy. Well, the knowledge of Jesus will set you free from all of those fears. And it will set you free from all of those idols. Because he's central and we trust him. And we believe he is who he said he was and he will do what he said he will do. Because we know that he's the Alpha and the Omega. So I'm not going to worry about, I'm not, I'm not going to live in fear. I'm not going to say I'm not going to worry. We, we, we're concerned when we see difficult and painful things going on in the earth. We don't cl- turn a blind eye to it. That's the other extreme. Oh, it's okay. Um, I don't care about the wars because, because Jesus is Lord and it will all be all right in the end. No, he drives us like he lived in his earthly ministry to act with compassion and love and kindness and work for the kingdom of God on, on earth now. So it's not just, oh, one day I'll be with Jesus. Living for Jesus begins today. But it's in walking with him and obeying his words, which are not rules to keep us from something, their rules to, to their, their, their um, guidelines to, to bring us to something, the freedom and the truth and the life that he offers us. You'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Stuart Bell, who many of you will know, is, uh, was the uh, leader at St. Michael's for many years, now leading a congregation locally in uh, Rida Penai. 
um, has recently wrote a book or released a book um, which looked at the, the revelation that um, John had and the things that Jesus revealed to himself about him. But one of the things he said in that book, which is called Jesus Now, is this. The issue with Jesus is not interpreting what he said, but obeying what he said. It's not a, it's not a mind thing. It's a life thing. It's not just about understanding and, and arguing about, well, what does that mean? Our challenge comes when we actually try and walk the walk and put into practice what Jesus said. Which brings us back to the talks we've done recently about this being the way, hearing the voice of God and walking in it. Remember, we, we said that disciples in Hebrew are called Talmidim. To be a Talmud is to be totally devoted to your teacher, quoting Robin Baker from a book that Liz gave me that he wrote called Discipleship. To be totally devoted to your teacher. And uh, increasing the centrality of Jesus in our lives is the kingdom gospel. And Jesus came uh, to, to embody and to preach his message. He wasn't preaching... Now, go with me here, and this is going to be unsettling for some. He didn't preach a gospel of salvation as such, as we often understand it. Often we have heard people preach the gospel, and, it, and it's basically all about the cross, and it stops at the cross. What Jesus preached was something called the gospel of the kingdom. And the way to the kingdom, the cross is vital in our journey to the kingdom, but it's the kingship of Jesus, the lordship of God, that was the gospel. The good news is, whatever we see going on around us, Jesus is Lord. And he has revealed perfect love to us upon the cross. It's the cross that has enabled us to receive the forgiveness and the salvation but it's the gospel of the kingdom. Of course, I believe the gospel of salvation. But there's a gospel, there's more to it. It's about making Christ king of our lives, making Christ king on earth in the situations where we find ourselves. And that was the message he preached and lived. He always has been, he is, and he always will be the king. And our goal as a church is his reign so we want his reign in our lives as individuals. We want his reign in our, the life of our church. We want his reign in Aberystwyth, in Wales, and in the world. So how can we seek to be a Christ-centered church? Well, some of the simple things that we seek to do would be keeping Jesus central in our worship. We want to... Gather in his name when we, when we have our meetings on Sundays or whenever else we have them. We're gathering in the name of Jesus. We're gathering in the name of Christ. And that's kingdom activity. What's going on in heaven, we've seen through Revelation, is that there is worship of the Lamb. There's worship of God going on day and night. And I personally sense that when we worship together, it's, it's an entering into of kingdom activity. But we, we are still on earth, and so we, we, as much as I might like to, we can't live perpetually in a place of corporate sung worship, as much as we may love to do that. Why? Because there's a, 
kingdom of darkness that needs the light of Jesus that we carry. So we have the opportunity to centralize and worship Christ together. But then in our, as individuals, we need to grow and learn uh, to walk as disciples of Jesus and do what he did. And his instruction was to go and make disciples. So as we do that, it's kingdom living. It's, how, it's understanding things like the, the Beatitudes and the teachings of Jesus and how do they apply to my life today? How do I live that out? And then thirdly, extending his reign to our communities and our contexts in your workplace, your place of study, your family, your community, your football club, your um, uh, um, games nights, whatever it is that you do. How can I extend the reign of Jesus, the kingship, the lordship, the rule of Christ into this context? And just by being there and carrying the fragrance of Jesus and being the one that doesn't stand for some of the gossip or being the one that doesn't enter into the course joking or doesn't or or does you are the one who will go and um, do the washing up or you know these are just little examples being the person who is different because Jesus has transformed your life in your context is bringing the reign of Jesus into your workplace into your family into your community we want to extend his reign and his rule into our community So we say, this is the way, let us walk in it together. Remember what we said a couple of weeks ago, be a disciple, be discipled, be a discipler. And as a church, Elim, we are part of a Jesus-centered movement. From the beginning of uh, Elim's uh, journey, they've had what has been described as the four-square gospel. And that is about... Jesus the Savior, Jesus the Healer, Jesus the Baptizer in the Spirit, and Jesus the Coming King. And that gospel has been central to the Elim Church, and it may be not something that we hear so much about, but it's about Jesus being the focus and the goal and the motivation that we have. So whilst the cross is pivotal to the gospel story, it's not the whole of the gospel story. And it's difficult for us to conceive of a way to sum up the full story of Jesus in a few human words. For the whole story of Jesus is what we're aiming for. Christ in creation, in the incarnation, Christ's teaching, his ministry, the cross, the resurrection, the ascension, his church, his return. It's his kingdom that we want to proclaim to the earth today. And all of those things... We can have emphasis, but what must we be sure of? The eternal centrality of all of creation, of the story of the Messiah. Jesus, Yesi, Yehoshua, Yesu, Isa, however you describe him in the different languages, Christ is the King. He is the Lord. And it's him upon whom we place our trust, our emphasis. And we, as a church, Elim Abrisseth, will keep Christ central. We will aspire to do it more and more. That's what we're seeking to do. Amen? I'm going to ask the musicians to come and begin to play. And I just want to finish by reading Paul's words in Colossians, where I think he encompasses a lot of the gospel and the message of Jesus and the lordship of Christ. 
into a passage of Scripture. And as I read this, I'm just encouraging you to centralize Christ in your life this morning. And it might be that you've never done that before, that he's never been made the center of your life. You haven't become a Christian. You haven't given your your life to the Lordship of Jesus. And we would love you to do that. We'd love you to have the opportunity to say, yes, I want to follow Jesus. I believe this is true. He is who he said he was. I want to invite you to do that this morning if you haven't done that before. It might be that you have walked with Jesus, but it's time to center your attention and your life upon him again. I want to encourage you to do that as we bring our meeting to a close, as we, as we begin to worship again. You can start playing, guys. And I'll read this passage of Scripture and invite you to dwell on the person of Jesus. Let's close our eyes if you're happy to, if you're comfortable to do so. Just take these words when we finish the passage. In Colossians chapter 1, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you have heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which Paul has become a servant. Lord Jesus, We declare that you are Lord, that you are the King of Kings, and we express our desire to bring your reign and your rule into our workplaces, into our communities, into our families, and to keep you central to all that we do in Elim Aberystwyth. In Jesus' name, amen.